0: We need to understand the world in which those failures take place. Here's more from Paul Begg.
1: Jack the Ripper is a mystery. And understanding, perhaps even solving it, you have to study the evidence. You have to know how people lived and so on. Because all of how they lived could have a bearing on what they did and therefore ultimately lead to perhaps a discovery of who the murderer was or getting close to that. You have to read books, which is no bad thing, but you've got to learn about sources, which ones are and which ones aren't reliable. All the sorts of things that historians do that's part of their job, and many of those things have applications in our world such as now there is an increasing need to distinguish between trustworthy and untrustworthy news stories and blogs and web pages and goodness knows what else.
0: The Whitechapel murders demanded the attention of London during their own day, and it's never stopped bringing more eyes and more minds to the mystery of a case. So often the focus has been on the gaps in our knowledge, the things we don't know or never can. But when it comes down to it, there's so much that we do know, and the obsessive drive to uncover the identity of the killer has often allowed the speculations and fabrications of times past to cover over the real lives and real past of the place where the killings happened. Even in 1888, though, Whitechapel was much bigger than just the story of its infamous killer. Darkest England That was the smear used against London's East End, to accuse it of being just like so-called uncivilized parts of the world. The parts of the world that had just a few too many diamonds in their fields, according to people like Charles Warren. The parts of the world that needed civilizing missions, according to people like James Monroe. The parts of the world that could be put to work, if you had some matches to make. But what if you were all three, and you had a missionary army ready to make some matches, That's what the East End looked like to the Salvation Army. The leaders of that movement saw the ways that Bryant and May were making hay from the East End poor, and they saw an opportunity to compete, so they opened a rival match factory in hopes of lifting people out of poverty. And the darkest England match company started right down the road from Bryant and May. To their credit, the entrepreneurial mission left the toxic white phosphorus behind, and they paid their workers twice what Bryant and May offered— For a while, it seemed like they were succeeding, too, and they were putting out six million boxes of matches each year. Members of Parliament and journalists with ready pens came through on tours led by the Salvation Army generals. But as the matchwomen knew all too well, matchmaking was a ruthless business. The darkest England match company only lasted a few years, and when it closed, it was gobbled up by a competitor. That's right, it was taken over by none other than Bryant and May. But that's not the end of the story for working people in London's East End. Because as you probably remember, when we last left Mary Driscoll and the Matchwomen, they weren't done with their own work. They were still agitating. But in 1889, it went beyond that too. Here's Dr. Louise Raw to tell us more.
2: I found that strikes shot up, shot up, right after the Matchwomen strike. And there's no other way to explain it because I looked, I went right back and looked at averages on years everyone in the east end is going on strike the tailors the seamstresses you know the jam factories the furplers everyone's going on strike you know because working people aren't stupid they they see an example here oh look they are workers like us they're supposed to be powerless blimey they're now trade union leaders and they've got better conditions you know how dumb do we think working people are (laughs) that this would be lost on them of course it wasn't lost on them
0: and one of those groups who looked to what Mary Driscoll and the other women had achieved was none other than the muscle that made the empire flourish, the dock workers. They wanted what the match women had won, and they decided to make demands of their own. After all, they could only be envious of what the women in their family had won. Here's Louise Ra.